and welcome to uh man i'm not sure which one of these which i haven't really been keeping <laughs> track of uh how many of these we've been doing but uh, welcome to another episode of our um labs open office hour uh where you guys the audience get to kind of ask some questions pick the brains of uh one of our labs members and uh this week we have let me see i think i point this way Kelly Shipman. Uh, he is our resident sort of game dev, 3DS Max. Uh, you kind of seem to dabble in quite a bit of different things, right, Kelly? Yeah, yeah. that is correct. Yeah, so this is always fun. Um, I get to, especially the game dev stuff, because it's you know somewhat personally um, interesting, but also just the crossover with like AI, and there's like a little bit of engineering and 3D modeling and stuff as mm -hmm. well. And simulations and things and it's pretty pretty interesting stuff so um just in case for those uh who may be watching and don't know or listening later uh go ahead and introduce yourself your background a little bit of what you have done and do and and that sort of thing okay so i'm kelly shipman i am the newest labs technician um been with puget for about three years prior to coming to puget i worked in um the game industry did environment art for video games, did QA for software and hardware. Um, so she just kind of like brings that all together for me. <laughs> right on. That's pretty cool. So uh, you say environment art. What is that exactly? So uh, like I did not work on characters or anything like that. I only did um, buildings, little props. Uh, vegetation that type of stuff oh okay and is that kind of touch on like level design a little and stuff too yeah so level design would be the actual like how a player would move through the environment and like how they interact and stuff whereas the environment artist just creates the art assets so okay. they would actually provide us with a gray box so just be like rough boxes that are just gray of like this is a house this is kind of the shape of the house of the like inside and then it'd be my job to then make that look believable to fit within the criteria of like this is how much space a player needs to move through the area and everything hmm. yeah. that's pretty cool so um how has that experience then um kind of applied to what you're doing for Puget systems now so uh now i'll be testing um, 3D software packages such as uh, Autodesk 3ds Max, Maya, uh, perhaps a little Cinema 4D, those kind of things, which is the the raw tool to create the assets. So that'll be okay. the first step in like creating the animations and all that stuff happens in those programs. Oh. You would then take those assets, put them into a game engine such as Unreal or Unity. Mm -hmm. So I'll be testing that side with like import times, compiling um, shaders, um, building lighting, all that kind of stuff. Well, that'll be so cool. It's kind of that whole pipeline side of it. Now, I imagine this has got to be a little difficult because um, as far as I'm aware, nobody's really ever done this sort of work before, like, or this sort of testing before. And so, like, how... Man, I know you've kind of done a bit of a blog. Uh, you mm -hmm. have that blog series going of, of following, kind of documenting the building process of this benchmark. But like, like kind of give a little insight into that. Like, where do you even start? Like, how? What? I guess you know. There's questions about like, what do you decide 
to test. You said you mentioned right. like imports and things like that. And but what's important? Yeah. So that is probably the most difficult part of well, depend who you ask. The most difficult part of the labs process is like figuring out what needs to be tested. Mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of information from sales because they have customers who are saying, hey, this is what we do. This is the problem that we're having that we're looking to solve. How can you guys help us? Um, so I get a lot of feedback from them on um, what should be tested. Sure. And then I also just spend a lot of time researching through forums, um, through um, even Twitter is a good uh, resource for like people like, oh, I'm having this problem here or whatever, um, just to see what issues people are kind of experiencing that relate to the hardware. Like there's going to be issues with an importer doesn't work or whatever. If the tool doesn't work, that's not really our, our concern. It's like, hey, my it's really slow doing this thing. Okay. That's where I'll look for that. So um, I suppose then what, what has been the most... Um... I suppose sought after so that you've encountered so far, like what is the biggest one that you're focused on? Uh, right now, the biggest thing is um, unreal. That's mm -hmm. like the number one thing that sales is coming to me and like, Hey, we have customers that want to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's a combination of um, building all of the shaders and compiling everything. Um, because it's not just like compiling the code, it's like building shaders, it's kind of complicated. And then building the lighting is like, um, even though it's real time lighting in Unreal, they still has to be, still computes a lot of information with like shadow maps and a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, and that needs to be done before the player gets the game. Um, huh. It actually makes it more efficient. So it's, it is real time, but it's also not real time. So um, oh, yeah. uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so there's that stuff, the compiling, the building. Um, I've had customers looking at, um, like, trying to import, like, 500 textures into a material or into various materials. So, like, this bulk process of pulling all this data into Unreal to then create the materials. Um, that's a long process. Sure. So there's that stuff. And then also the the big thing with Unreal right now is the real-time uh, playback for film, oh. TV, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we're getting a lot of people looking for, like, um, to be able to composite a real-time act, live actor into Unreal. Oh, that's neat. I've, I have seen some uh, that sort of like virtual production sort of thing. In yeah. fact, you yourself uh, were just share short shared a little yeah. clip of you had like you'd like composited yourself behind a news desk sort of thing mm -hmm. in in what was a basically a completely three D environment, right? Yep. And was yeah, that... that was that was all in Unreal real time. I could like move the camera around and. It was connected to my uh, just my webcam, so the quality was pretty pretty poor. Um, but it was kind of a proof of concept just to get it running. Um, so, uh, yeah. I'm I'm curious. So, in in particular, the regards to that little clip you showed, your your um, I guess video input is that mm -hmm. technically two dimensional? Then is it just like yes. a, like essentially a cardboard cutout inside a three D environment? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it was basically there was a a two D plane um, that was just sitting there that basically it was being used as you can think of it as being used as the monitor of your computer okay. is like sure. it just it's a virtual monitor. Um, and then I had to do some other stuff to like clip out the background and all that. It was a pretty pretty janky setup because <laughs> I had to use a special software that would cut the background out from behind oh, yeah. me um, and then use that output into Unreal, capture that as the device to display on there and then chroma key out that stuff and then output from that to OBS to be able to record the video that I did. Wow. Um, it was a little, little janky. It's not how it was designed. Um, that scene was designed for Blackmagic um, okay. cameras and capture cards. So Unreal actually has inputs and outputs for their stuff. So that way, if I connected a Blackmagic video camera, it would be able to see that the SDI input and then um, also be able to output to the Blackmagic capture card okay. like directly. That's neat. Um, and that allows for things like um, both Blackmagic and uh, AJA, AJA. I'm not sure how, if you pronounce it that way or not. Oh, okay. Um, they actually, it's not just you can see the camera, it actually will sync frames with the camera and Unreal. So that way everything, there's no like jittering and frames are happening at the real time. Oh, I see. Uh, which is really nice. That's pretty cool. How does the... Uh... So I think I think a lot of people are still uh, very very caught up on ray tracing and RTX and mm -hmm. things like that. Is there? Um, I guess since Nvidia is pretty much the only ones who are in that game right now, is there any sense in? For one, I suppose, is there a way to test any sort of? Is that something to test within the scope of your your purview? And then, is it worth doing since there's really only Nvidia and it's just buy the best Nvidia card or? Um, it's definitely worth doing um, because there's going to be, there's the, not just does it work, but like is a significant performance hit on an NVIDIA video card to use ray tracing mm -hmm. um, by quite a bit. So if you're using it for um, video for like film and stuff, and you're using it with a live actor, especially, you want to maintain a certain frame rate at all times. Okay. So you need to know how good of a, a card you can get away with um for gaming it's a little different because then you're like as long as i can get 30 fps i'm fine um but for film video you're looking at you know maintaining 30 maybe 60 fps at all times zero okay. dips because then that'll right. look terrible and then um you're probably outputting 4k or higher um and stuff like that so it's definitely worth doing. Um, that's going to be a little complicated because you're looking at uh, Quadro offers a lot of um, help there. Oh, actually, um, especially with multiple cards. Um, Quadro, you can also like the on the Mandalorian for their giant virtual oh, walls yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. They have, I think, I think they have four computers running that video wall. Um, oh, so wow. each computer is responsible for certain sections of the wall. And then, um, so if using Quadro cards, 
there's a Quadro Sync card. Um, um, did I lose you guys? No, no, I'm still here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just I thought my inter- look for a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so Quadro cards have a sync card that will then sync up the frames for all of those machines together. It actually has like a network cable that goes between all the machines. Wow. Um, so that way there is no frame differences. Like as you're panning across that giant wall, all the frames are lined up perfectly between all these machines. Okay. Yeah. Cause you don't um, want to get like screen tear or anything. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So you got all that kind of stuff that you can't do with like a G force card. Okay. Um, yeah. That's interesting to know. Cause like a lot of, a lot of the stuff you do see, at least from a casual standpoint, a lot of that, um, when it comes to ray tracing and things does come from a, a gaming standpoint. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting to know that, um, in fact, like I hadn't, I hadn't really realized that, um, like it's, it's there, it's in the name, right? The quadro RTX cards, but like, I, I suppose it hadn't really clicked to me, like the, um, uh, the application of it in, in mm-hmm. the quadro sense. Uh, so that's really neat. And I, I, I like that you brought up, um, the Mandalorian and what they're doing with like the, the, those sort of, um, it's almost like a hybrid virtual production environment. And mm-hmm. um, is, is I guess, is that something we could test? Um, how, because I imagine they just threw money at that problem until they well, just yeah. had, <laughs> you know, they just, they just built the beefiest machines they possibly could. Um, but right. I, I see on Twitter as well, there's, there's a handful of people working on more sort of DIY solutions in that sense, like sort mm-hmm. of draping a room in green, uh, you know, green screen material or whatnot. And, and, or, um, I, I think even the corridor guys were planning on, on trying mm-hmm. to do something similar with the, with the bigger screens. Is that something interesting that we could look into or something maybe you would want to try and like, how do, yeah, how do you, so... and how do, would you even determine the performance for something like that? Yeah, there's two different ways of doing it. There's the Mandalorian way, which you need multiple high-end quadros to be able to sync together to run this whole giant wall in sync. And then there's the um, green screen method, which probably don't need multiple computers because it's just one environment, just one, basically one camera. Right. Um, And so that'll be a little bit easier to test for us. Okay. at least that's my understanding as of right now. I haven't been able to dive that far into it yet. Okay. Um, maybe it's just as easy either way. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. But yeah, that's the two different ways of tackling it is like, are you going to have Unreal output to a, a screen that you are then using a different camera to record that screen? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to be looking at green screen and just rendering in Unreal that one thing? Um, and compositing and Unreal and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. two different ways of doing it. And so we'll need to look at both of them because it's going to be different different um, needs for sure. each one. Because um, if you're just doing one system and using a green screen, mm-hmm. you can probably get away with the quad, with the um, GeForce, like a 2080 Ti. Um, maybe two of them in, with NVLink. I'm not sure if that'll make much of a difference. Probably sure. would. Um, Unreal is actually pretty good at multiple video cards. Oh, that's good. Um, so, um, yeah, that will they'll definitely be just completely different beasts, really. Yeah. Does VR uh, have an effect on any of this? Like, I know um, there's a, a gentleman um, 
oh bugger, I can't recall his his, his name, but I I see him come up on 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 the Twitter that I follow a lot. Um, but and he's working. He ties in um, an HTC Vive with the mm-hmm. green screen production thing, so that he I guess it's it's so that it, it ties to the virtual camera within Unreal. Mm-hmm. And and so is that again? I, I'm asking a lot of questions about more like future looking things, but is like. Are you going to get to play with a Vive and stuff in the future? I hope so. I mean, <laughs> we need to at least be able to do enough of it to see what it does, to see if I can um, then build a benchmark around it. Sure. Because you have to remember, once I create a benchmark for this, I have to be able to run that on 20 machines. Or I guess it's if 10 right now. It's going to be a few more in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and some of them are like, they're set up in a server room. Like, how am I going to get a camera connected to that machine? Mm-hmm. And you know, like, um, so I'm hoping to find ways to to simulate some of this stuff. Um, yeah, so that's the goal. So, for, but for VR, there's a couple different things going on. There's that stuff, which is um, using the hardware of the VR machine to just track movement. That okay. shouldn't be too terribly taxing on the system beyond what it's already doing. Sure. And then there's the VR like headset, which that is more taxing because that's trying to maintain 90 FPS, I believe is what most of them target. Okay. Yeah, um, so you, so you don't, don't get, get motion sickness and yeah. Um, <laughs> and the basically, basically two different monitors. And so that's taxing because it's trying to like maintain this high level of performance whereas the other one is like just seeing where something is in the in the room um yeah. okay yeah uh, yeah but I, I think i know who you're talking about uh cinematography database is one on youtube that's the one yeah that, yeah. yeah been doing a yeah i've been watching his stuff it's it's remarkable um yeah just what what he's been doing with with what seems basically like duct tape and bailing wire in a big way yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. well that's how a lot of this stuff starts off um and then unreal is very open to like seeing what people want to use their software for and then incorporating that into their into their um, stuff because like i mean unreal used to be just a game engine and now it's right. used for film for TV, um, architectural visualization is really popular with Unreal. That's right. Um, like doing uh, product demos in Unreal is really uh, popular, like rendering out um, scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and even some machine learning is going on in Unreal. So like everybody, like every industry is looking at the software and like trying to see how they can use it because it's become wow. so open and has so many different modules you can attach to it wow. like there's official black magic plugin so you can connect an sdi output video card like or camera like who has that other than professional video people but that's right. like an official plugin um so yeah it's it's grown well past just being a game engine wow so we do have a question from the chat from uh, our good friend, Sir Wade Neidstadt. He says, um, I'd love to hear more from Kelly about the challenges of the Unreal f- uh, Unreal Engine 4 and slash live action video integration uh, challenges and what he thinks it will lead to or would like to see done using the tech. Yeah, so that's going to be, like, is it, like we were talking about earlier, 
for okay well i guess it depends on if you want to talk about my challenges as a benchmark developer or the challenges of the industry using it well, let's, um, let's start with your personal challenges personal challenges is how do i set up cameras on all these computers that i then have to then benchmark like is that something i need to do um if i wanted to simulate um running a video wall where I need to have multiple computers with Quadra Sync together, like, is that even feasible? Or are we just going to be like, yeah, you're going to need a Quadra 6000 on all these computers and the highest core CPU you can get. Um, so there's that challenges for me is just going to be like, okay, how do we, how do I test this? Let alone Test it on one system, but test it on a variety of CPUs and a variety of video cards. Sure. That's the base thing for me. Yeah. For the um, industry as a whole, the, the two different ways of doing it is the video walls like the Mandalorian that has the challenge of needs crazy hardware, like just top the line. Um, because to use Quadro Syncing, you need a f Quadro 4 or Quadro 5 or 6000. Okay. which the Quadro 5000 is $2,000 each, I think. Um, well, that's, like, that's like top three, right? It, that's five, yeah. six, and eight, right? Eight, yeah. And only so. between six and eight is how much RAM. They're the same okay. same processor inside. Um, and But then if you have a, just a giant scene with massive textures, you might need an 8,000 to cover the, the RAM needs. Um, so you're going to need this massive system. For the green screen, you have, even if you do have the camera tracking in Unreal, so you can move it around and stuff, you have the problem of lighting where oh. you'd basically have to set up, which is what they do in um, movies right now when they're mm -hmm. filming against a green screen, is they have to determine where they're going to put the, stu the studio lights okay. and what colors they're going to be and all that kind of stuff. So that way it's lighting the actors fairly consistent with what your scene is going to be in 3d oh sure um so that's gonna be a, that's wow. the biggest challenge that those guys face is how do you light the actor to match the scene um wow that gets that gets really complicated because like you need it to be at least close you can do a lot of color fixing in post mm -hmm. um but not to the extent of like you have a you know cam a bright light from the person's face but the sun's behind them you know like sure you have to make sure that you're doing that close or do if it's in a moving scene and there's like oh. lights flashing by <laughs> like how do you do that in in uh in the do studio you think, do you think it would be i mean and maybe we're not at this point but i wonder would it be possible then to especially with something with as um, like ray tracing gets uh, more advanced, um, would would you be able to have a sort of virtual light, um, maybe sort of paint? Uh, you know what I'm trying to say? Maybe mm -hmm. um, like within the 3D environment, the fake space, uh, sort of um, like in a post-processing sort of way. Uh, exist that in that sense so that yeah. maybe you can be a little sloppier with the real lights yeah i wouldn't be surprised because i mean that's essentially what the the video wall also provides in addition to having the background to film from is it gives light like natural light to the actors mm, because okay. they're fully surrounded by the scene and this with these video screens if there's a bright light in the scene 
in front of the actor that's behind the camera, right? That's that light actually exists on that video wall. So even I if it's not displayed, yeah, because they're rendering the entire scene regardless. Got it. Um, they actually they actually reduce the um, the like the quality of the stuff that's not on screen. Sure. Um, to probably save uh, rendering performance, but then that still gives the natural lighting. So I could uh, I could envision in a um, a green screen scenario, you could have like these massive LED panels that have you know not a high resolution for if you were contribute those LEDs to pixel, right? But it'd be enough that you could alter the lights and stuff to make it you know seem like you're passing by passing by a tree or something and kind of blocks momentarily and gives the right color of light or something like that wouldn't be too difficult oh that'll be neat that'll be really cool i'll I'll, i'm i think i think one of the neatest things coming from uh the advancements in unreal i think is going to be this sort of virtual production um Mm -hmm. and and these these sort of and and the combination of of either it, it like you were saying it, the, the kind of the two different ways of doing it it's man it's really neat i'm mm-hmm. very excited um um oh dang it. i I, th- I had a bit of a question then i, I <laughs> let it go <laughs> um let's oh and i suppose just offhand uh we did have a question from twitch from uro 666 um do you know how much cpu ram they were using in the systems for the for the real-time rendering in the mandalorian you had I have the quadros m- yeah, I have not been able to find any specs for what they used, but I would assume it was pretty beefy. Sure. Um, just because uh, I would assume they're using very high resolution textures in a lot of them. So that yeah. means you're going to need a lot more RAM um, and you're going to need a lot of like process power to move that stuff around. Um, so I would guess I would guess at least 128 gigs, if not more RAM, and possibly a Threadripper or something, um, sure. or something higher end to support. I would I would not be surprised if each computer had two Quadros, probably sure. RTX 6000s, and yeah. then you know four systems combined. Wow, only four. I'm a little I'm a little surprised to hear. So and and you're sure like it was only just four systems. I, that's what I heard was four. Wow. Because you have like a master um, that, that controls everything. Uh-huh. And then the other ones. At least that's what they've... So Mandalorian was not actually the first one to do this kind of stuff. Oh, neat. Um, like uh, Childish Gambino actually had a concert that was in a dome um, that like was erected for him. Um, that was uh, it was projected onto the the ceiling instead of having LED walls. It was the, kit, okay. the computers were projecting onto the ceiling, and it was like the full dome was covered. And they did the same thing with multiple computers using the Quadro Sync cards to then sync them all up, and then there's this whole thing. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll find wow. the I'll find the video of it and send it to you. Oh, um, yeah, that'd be yeah, great. So, that sounds. That's, I mean, that's kind of mind blowing. I know that, um, and like, I'm pretty sure, I th- I'm pretty sure we can talk about the, the hollow dome, um, mm-hmm. by, um, um, not yeah, Jobs, the... but, uh, 
um, Paul Allen, but the late Paul, Paul Allen, Allen right. uh, yeah. his little thing, um, a similar sort of concept where where it's like a a big dome thing that they're mm-hmm. they're doing a high resolution projection sort of to mm-hmm. to make a, a 3D environment like that. That's amazing. That, yeah, uh, it's mind blowing. So, oh, um, oh, um, hmm. <laughs> I just I, there's, I'm kind of getting mixed up because there's there's I'm very curious about um, I guess just what it is you're working on and and all that kind of a thing and oh so the benchmark is still being worked on um, but I imagine you Unreal heard, yeah yes Oh, uh, yeah just starting oh okay I mean um, the, the research side of it right now I see um, do you have any sort of preliminary results no no <laughs> yeah. I'm still researching because so. Like I was saying, that all these different industries use Unreal. Mm-hmm. So it's going to end up being like a multidisciplinary project. So oh, I'm okay. going to have to get Matt involved with some of the like, um, how it works for film and all that kind of stuff. And then get oh. William involved with how this works for engineering. Because um, I saw some some stuff on Unreal about like using drones to then like do the 3D mapping of okay. uh, like a um, like the photogrammetry kind of, to yeah some a, photogrammetry stuff a building that or something can then import all that data directly into Unreal so you then you can no way uh, go around it in a VR scenario um, it's used for machine learning mm-hmm. so I'm gonna have to get Don involved and in how to get his stuff in and yeah it's oh, gonna be wow. yeah, it'll be a bigger task and so it'll be a little plus of that i'm going to be doing for the game dev side and 3d wow. stuff and then like also kind of leading them and helping them get their stuff into okay so where are you starting then um the game dev just yeah i'm starting kind of game dev and the film stuff because that's just the majority of our customers have been asking okay. for that kind of stuff um and just researching what needs to what the needs are yeah. Um, to know where to begin creating the benchmark. I see. I see. Yeah. Right on. Um, so because... before that, I've just finished 3ds Max. I finished the benchmark for that and oh. did some CPU articles on that. Oh, right on. That's awesome. Um, could, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Anything interesting sure. coming out of that? Well, I suppose because I'm a little unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Um, what is 3ds Max? What is it used for? So 3ds Max is one of the like top of the 3D modeling and animation packages. Okay. Um, kind of the more popular ones right now are 3ds Max, Maya, and Unity. No. Oh. Blender. Blender. Oh. Sorry. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, I always mix up Unity and Blender in my head. <laughs> um, so those are like the, the kind of the three big guys. Okay. Um, so that's the one that I used the most when I was in the game industry. It was traditionally used by the game industry um, first, whereas Maya was traditionally used by film. And then oh. um, Blender is kind of a, the newcomer. Okay. Um, it's, that's open source, so it's kind of not a lot of like professional, like like big business people are using that yet. But okay. it's, it's, get, it's growing. Like It does some crazy stuff. Um, so that was the like the the beginning of it was Max was the it was the cheaper one and okay. it was available on Windows first so that was the one that game developers 
kind of latched onto first. Sure. Whereas Maya started on the, um, oh, it was on Unix. Oh, wow. I remember the name of the, of the computer that it was running on right now. It, it was the, from uh, Jurassic Park when the girl's like, this is a Unix system. I know this. And oh, she's yeah. like, it's like a 3D fly through of the file system. Yeah. Yeah. That was what the, that was the um, 3D artist's computer. Like, oh. they just took that from the animation team and like stuck it on the set. Oh, that's and that, funny. that fly through um, file system, that was real. Like, that actually was on that system. I thought that it was, was like, a goof. I, I no. didn't think that was legit at all. No, it was like, awesome. it's like a, it was like a free like download that you could get at the time to like make your file system do that. Like, I don't think anyone ever used it in real, <laughs> but like that, yeah, that was all real. And that was, like I said, the, that was the, um, the arts computer. They just like took that and put it on the set. And... That's neat. Mm -hmm. So for 3ds max, um, anything so i suppose since it's you you've got it kind of complete your your benchmark mm -hmm. is is the way you've you like it and you have it um what was i guess what was the hardest part about again you did have you have the whole um documentation the blog series that you did but for for anybody who hasn't um been through that what was what was your the hardest part about all that uh, for me, the hardest part was learning the programming. Sure. <laughs> that was because like I come from an art degree, you okay. know, I have, uh, I'm somewhat technically minded, but not, not, I don't have programming experience. So that was a little challenging. Um, but luckily Max has a built-in scripting language that was oh, actually nice. really easy to pick up on. Um, so creating, I was able to create the majority of the programming for the benchmark within 3d studio max. So it's basically okay. just a script that runs and will output how fast each test was, uh, performed. Oh, no. Um, and then I used AutoIt to kind of make a wrapper around that, to be able to install it and, um, for our benchmarking software to be able to like run it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as far as the, the results itself, nothing terribly surprising yeah um so 3d studio max is to overgeneralize is the like 3d modelers tool whereas maya is like the 3d animators tool oh okay. um again that's super overgeneralized but um <laughs> one it, builds max the puppet is, the other one pulls the strings exactly um so Studio Max is used a lot for environment art. It's used a lot in the architecture side of things um, because it's it's really good at making models. Okay. Especially like um, square models. <laughs> <You know, laughs> Not characters. Stuff. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of like look at how that is being utilized. What's, you know, how do modeling tasks work? And modeling is very difficult to measure performance on because like it happens in an instant right like you move a polygon or something it, it's really quick okay. once you start getting millions and millions of polygons and you do a, a modifier onto all those polygons it starts to slow down just a little bit and a lot of um um a lot of the modeling frustrations i found online were just like 
it's just not responsive it's not snappy it's you know huh. how do i make it work faster because like if you get enough stuff going on you'd click on like select an object and it would like second half second later it would finally select and you'd move something and it'd be like this lag behind of what you're oh. trying to do um so trying to figure out how to test something that doesn't feel right is yeah. a little difficult so i kind of had to um kind of had to like exaggerate a lot of things beyond what any normal person would probably do sure. just to be able to give it enough time to be able to get consistent results. Wow. Uh, so that was, that was probably the hardest part. What kind of models that, so you're saying you had to kind of bring things to an ex extreme. So like what, what sort of a thing are you using then in order to test? Like, like how much, how much do you have to throw at the software in order to get that sort of like, I suppose laggy movement and, and um, tens of millions of polygons, like just huge of yeah, huge amount of stuff, wow. which is not not unheard of. Um, and so Oro okay. in uh, in the chat is saying that yeah. you can do animations in 3ds Max too. Yes, yeah. that's true. That's uh, in <laughs> fact, uh, um, Avatar James Cameron's Avatar. Oh yeah, that was made in 3d 3ds Max. No way. Um, yeah. So, like, when I say that, I was trying to say that those are overly over generalized statements, because, like, full on movies have been made in 3ds Max and in Maya, even though it's primarily Maya. Sure. And games have been made with Maya, even though game developers typically traditionally have used Max. Like, it's it's not a cut and dry. It's trying to sure. be very overly generalizing <laughs> that kind of stuff. Okay. But if you ask Sir Wade, he'd probably tell you not to animate in 3ds max if you could <laughs> but he might be biased i don't know <laughs> that's pretty cool uh man i'm 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 shocked to know how i i guess it just kind of um i've made i i guess personally at least and i'm sure some of the people watching have have just kind of assumed that um like you said avatar was all done in in 3ds max um i would have mm -hmm. thought that that kind of a thing would have been more of like um I guess after effects and things like that where but I guess I just have a misunderstanding of of the the crossover of all this stuff. Yeah. Um cuz yeah, I just I I assume that visual effects or CGI sort of stuff is done um in in either after effects or um like Cinema 4D or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's it's it, it's everywhere. There's all kinds of different yeah. things. Like uh, the car might be modeled in Maya, but then the physics is, of it is done in something else. Mm -hmm. or, you know, if it crashes into something and then the, the particles are done in something else. And, yep. and I, I suppose I'm only just now realizing it as you were talking about how you're going to have to work with the other members of labs to, mm -hmm. to make this unreal thing work because it's got its fingers into all these different industries. And like, right. it's, it's, it's amazing and, and wow it's it's just so much bigger than i suppose you you may have assumed right <laughs> well even things like um there's a, a behind the scenes of um was it, i think uh adventures of tintin rintintin something like that there's a cg oh. movie that came out a few years mm -hmm. ago yeah um there's a, a behind the scenes where there's a, a certain scene in there that there's a very long like one take of like 
them like rushing down the mountain in this car or something. I can't remember exactly what was happening, okay. but there's it's a very long, similar seemingly one take shot. Um, it's all done in three, but then when you watch the behind the scenes. They basically um, kind of blocked out the whole scene, kind of like you would do with like you know storyboard, but in three D. Animated the camera movement, and then took that camera movement and then imported it into a whole bunch of different scenes. So like one scene is just the water. Another scene is just the car. Another scene is just this thing. And that way each section can be worked on independently. Uh-huh. And then they just composite everything together at the end. Wow. So you don't have to do the entire screen that you see on a movie in one 3D scene. Um, you just do it in smaller chunks and then composite it all together, but you can like sync them up by using the same camera movement wow um, yeah like that's, that's neat. yeah you would probably never want to do the entire scene in a because like if one little thing goes wrong it's a lot of performance like a lot of rendering cycles to go into sure. that sure and so if like if you're like oh man that water doesn't look good you don't have to render the entire frame you just like okay let's go re-render that water and put it, that water in instead and, right Huh. It, it it seems it seems so simple. When you put it that way, it like like kind of one of those like well duh, but yeah. at the same time like before that you you kind of like I said, you just kind of assume, well yeah, it's gonna be that whole yeah that whole scene at once and then huh. That's I mean besides cool. if you had if it was the whole scene you have, you know, three hundred animators or you know three D artists of some sort right. all contributing to that file, like how are they gonna all contribute to that scene. They can't work on it together. Right. No, they're all doing their own parts or one team is doing their thing and then they just mash it all together at the end. That's amazing. How, man. And the same thing goes with, like you're talking about Cinema 4D, um, Houdini's another one for like, Mm -hmm. um, uh, like particle type stuff. Yeah. Um, And a bunch of other software like After Effects, whatever. So like you might have the 3D scene, but then you're gonna give it to an After Effects artist who's then gonna do their stuff on top of that. And then another person's gonna do a color grading and in DaVinci or something. And, That's cool. Um, so yeah, everybody will cooperate together to get it done. Yeah. That's neat. Uh, so um, um, to kind of swing back around back to Unreal, um, mm-hmm. um, there's there's terms that I've heard tossed around sometimes either reading some of your articles. I remember like an early one you talked about when RTX first came out. Um, but I, I just to kind of get a better insight into how the software works and stuff. What, you, you hear about um, baked lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that? <laughs> so <laughs> that is, um, it's still actually used even in real time. Uh, lighting scenarios okay but baked lighting is basically so you'd set up say my room here and i have a couple can lights up there mm-hmm. instead of like having to every frame trace where that ray is going to go that ray of light and how it's going to hit the wall you would do that ahead of time okay so it would the engine will look at the scene see all the lights are determine how they're going to project their light onto the scene and then it'll actually take all the 3D models you have mm-hmm. and create a new texture that will go on top of them. Oh. Which is basically just like in Photoshop doing a multiply multiply layer of like sure. 
it's white and white and black with like this is bright this is dark and then that texture just overlays it to make it look like there's light there but it's just like another texture laying on top of everything wow um so that's what it's computing is like seeing where the light's gonna go baking a new texture and then applying that texture to the scene that's interesting it's it's also I'm always curious about where some of these terms come from. Like why why are you baking the light? Like why is that question. the term? Yeah. Um, I'm curious oftentimes about where some and I'm sure there's yeah. some you know it's probably some sort of like cell animation where they literally were baking some sort of like plastic cell yeah. to make sure that it looks just I right or something. Could be. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always there's a, there tends to be a, a, a low tech explanation for some of these terms as we've evolved through um, yep. different technologies and stuff. For like, sure. Yeah. Somebody somebody was actually baking the paint or something right. to make sure it looks right. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Uh, let's see if we have any questions in the chat. Um, this is a big fan. Let's see. It's less graphically expensive than real-time rendering. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because if it's... Well, I mean, that's been a big issue. Like, I remember ray tracing being talked about in the mid-90s, and you could do it then, but it would take you know, 30 seconds for one, one frame to, to know where all the light beams were going to go and stuff like we've been able to do it in a small sense, but now it's, now we've gotten to a point where we can do it somewhat real time. Hmm. So, um, well, and it's less expensive because, so if you have like, we've had shadow casting lights in games for years, mm -hmm. like, I mean, Morrowind had shadow casting lights. Um, wow. so like, what happens there is basically it's a very small section of that like baked lighting because mm -hmm. that light can only affect a certain area. Sure. Um, and it's basically will just compute a like uh, basically an alpha like a silhouette of whatever is moving through that light. Huh. Um, but it has to do that every frame on every polygon that is within its radius. So if you have too many of those shadow casting lights, it's doing it so much that it just um, gets too expensive. That's why a lot of times you don't see too many shadow casting lights within one scene. I see. If it seems like this, like, like it's really common to walk through a game and be like, oh, I'm walking through a shadow casting light, but this light right here is not casting a shadow and it's like next to that one yeah. because they determined like that one wasn't important enough to worry about, so. This one gets the priority so it can have the effect and not impact performance too much. I see. So because it basically uh, has to redraw the the geometry multiple times for every light that you put oh, in there. And, yeah. Yeah, that's that's gonna bog you down quite a bit. Yeah. Huh. We have another question. This one's actually coming from Twitter from our Periscope a Periscope viewer, Mark Brandt. He says he's asking, how big of a deal is Ampere? Am yeah, Ampere. Which I think is NVIDIA's next step uh, graphics yes. cards. I know we don't have any like samples or anything, but mm. I suppose it's more of an opinion question. Uh, well, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the rumor stuff. Um, and right now, there's not a lot of information on it. Mm -hmm. So I don't have much to say about Ampere because I have no idea. Like at this point, it could be anything. I don't know. Are you hopeful? I'm always hopeful. Like, sure. I mean, as a just a general gearhead, 
like I want something really cool. <laughs> yeah. Like I was excited for real time ray tracing more so than most gamers were when the RTX first came out. Yeah. Um, but I actually didn't think it was going to go into games right away, but whatever. Sure. Sure. And yeah, I suppose that that kind of does make a bigger, bigger deal from your point of view as a, as an environment artist and, and whatnot, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause well, for, for the game industry, um, with the real time lighting. So it has a huge potential to increase or, um, imp to make the production pipeline faster because okay. you don't have to then bake those lighting. You don't have to like worry about creating a cube map that makes a reflection. Um, the engine just takes care of it for you and more realistically than you can. Nice. So that's the goal. The problem in the game industry is that you have to support that technology and the old technology oh, at sure. the same time. So you're not saving any time. In fact, now you have to then author it to work for the old style and the new style. Mm -hmm. um, like I've told this before at work, but when, um, when they announced RTX, yeah. they announced it at SIGGRAPH for the Quadro cards. That's okay. where they announced it first. And I honestly thought at the time that was going to be Quadro's selling point was they had real time ray tracing. Uh -huh. I did not expect them to put it onto GeForce because oh. I was like, yeah, it's going to be cool, but it's not going to give much performance. Mm -hmm. And if you look at most games that do use real time ray tracing, like you're doing good if you hit 60 FPS. Um, yeah, right. On a 2080 Ti, like that's a lot of money to put onto that to get that little of performance sure but that's good enough for film if you're trying to get a film at 30 fps like oh so i yeah, thought that, that was going to be kind of their why you'd want to buy a quadro sure but then they put it on geforce and now here yeah <laughs> and i mean i feel like this may nowadays it's it's kind of a uh a hashed hashed topic but it's like it did seem it did seem premature to give it to the games industry when mm. there was like five games that anybody even knew you know the the developers didn't even have the opportunity to really work with it yet it seemed it seemed very well half-baked in a way like it, i feel like it should have that would have been a better step was to mm. trickle it down that way right yeah it's one of those things that like like the nvidia's well, even AMD knows this is the next step is ray tracing. They've already sure. been, um, AMD has been showing off their ray tracing stuff for a while as well. Um, they haven't talked about if it's like specifically hardware, specific hardware like um, NVIDIA has or not, but everyone knows real-time ray tracing is the next step. Sure. So NVIDIA has the technology and they have to decide, okay, how do we get this out to people? Like at some point, no one's gonna develop it if it's not available to develop for. Sure. But like, how are we gonna put it out there if no one has developed anything for it? So like, it's the chicken and the egg thing, like something has to start it. Right. So I think Nvidia kind of just like took the bullet almost. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, it's gonna look good, but also not look good <laughs> at first. Sure. But it's going to move the industry forward. So I mean, maybe that's a little too optimistic on my part. I don't know. But yeah, like, like at some point, someone had to put the hardware out there so that someone could develop software for it. 
Sure. Um, yeah. So they, they kind of just did it. You can argue if it was too early or not. That's a whole different debate, but like it had to start at some point. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have another question from uh, the chat from uh, this one's from YouTube. Tan May um, asks, um, what additional consideration uh, are made to adopt or use DLSS while making any game? So uh, what is DLSS? Do you recognize? Um, DLSS is deep learning super sampling. Okay. It's basically um, uh, uh, anti-aliasing, okay. but machine learning, oh. um, machine learning driven. So okay. instead of rendering out your 1080p scene, and then for each frame, after it renders out that information, it then has to look at all the lines and everything in the scene and determine, okay, this pixel, should that be halfway between these two pixels? And then like blur out the edges to make a crisp line so you don't have the jaggies. Okay. So that happens every frame with regular anti-aliasing. Um, DLSS, basically uh, NVIDIA has all these games just running through their machines and it like is comparing a 4k or higher resolution render of that oh. scene with like a 720p resolution and then it just sits there and machine learning compares them back and forth to say then teach the model to be like okay the 720p uh, render mm. if it was to scale up to 1440p this is how it's going to look because we have done the machine learning to like this is what the goal is and right it knows um, so DLSS is like that um, version of anti-aliasing. It's okay. pretty okay. crazy. So what considerations go into that? Um, is that from something my... that happens on the game dev side? Or is that uh, an after? Like, is that something that happens when I turn the setting on? Or is that work that has to be done during development? So the it's work that's done um, beforehand because it's basically built into like the driver software to okay. like know how to do these computations. Um, so NVIDIA is running a lot of stuff already and it doesn't have to be specific to your game. Okay. Um, it's just learning how to, when it sees these shapes, how it then translates it up. Oh, I mean, we'd okay. have to ask Don more about machine learning exactly how it's happening sure. in, in sure. the background. Um, but I don't think that on the developer side, they have to put a whole lot of thought into it um, because it's handled by NVIDIA and the driver. Wow. Um, because you're still going to have, it's like a checkbox. You have um, DLSS, um, TAA, temporal anti-aliasing, mm -hmm. and then other anti-aliasing. Yeah, they have all these other options. So yeah. the user can swap between them. But probably the biggest consideration, I guess, would be like is nvidia supporting your game or not i don't oh. know and and so this dlss is exclusive to nvidia it's their mm -hmm. it's their fancy thing yep. okay it requires wow. rtx video cards oh wow um, okay yeah that's neat that's i have thinking back on it now that like anti-aliasing has always been an interesting because you see different kinds of mm -hmm. aa in in games and it's is it just like a different way of calculating how to smooth the jaggies yep okay yeah basically each is just different 
way of calculating and each has a different plus or minus to it. Um, and it's kind of, sometimes it depends on which game, what kind of graphics they have, what yeah. is going to work better, what your performance can um, handle. Um, the DLSS is actually very, very um, efficient now. Mm. We're on like version three, I think, right now, DLSS 3.0. Um, it's gotten a lot better since the release of RTX cards. Um, and it like you can basically run the game at 720p and upsample it to 1440 and not really see the difference, but you get the performance benefit of running it at 720p. Ooh. Um, so it's, it's pretty impressive. That's cool. Um, that, that's essentially what's doing the background. You, you say, you tell the game you almost want 1440p, but then you check GLSS and it actually renders it lower, but then helps you get better performance that way. Oh, that's neat. Um, yeah. Huh. Sir Wade asks, uh, is there anything in your in the upcoming benchmark you're most excited to test or any curiosities you have? Um, so there's the the film stuff we already talked about because that's like the the, the hot topic right now. Sure. Is, um, you know, how does all that stuff work? Um, and then I'm also interested to see like deeper dive into how it will, how we can touch on other industries, not just game and film. Sure. Um, because I know a lot of other industries are, I'm really interested to see how it works for um, architectural visualization because that like the renders that they put out are super high definition, like amazing lighting, some of the most realistic renders, but it's running in real time. Um, so I'm really interested to see how ArcViz works. Um, yeah, mainly yeah. interested to see how all the other industries play into it. I have to agree that, um, yeah, the architecture side of it is, is really exciting to me too. Cause like, um, I just like the idea of, um, like say you want to build a new house and mm -hmm. you could potentially walk around your new house without it even being built yet. Um, mm -hmm. And, and say, oh, I want different countertops or like maybe that yep. window looks funny over there so we can just shift it this and um, or cars even like, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the design, the design stage of, of a vehicle, you can um, all the physics work involved, all the you can figure mm -hmm. out how this is going to move and bounce and shine and like textures or like I want a different dash or I just yeah. I think. I think that the it's almost like a rapid prototyping sort of thing, and mm -hmm. the the potential there is is going to be very exciting, very cool to see. Yeah, I think. for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. We're almost at our hour, so if you guys have any other questions, please do ask right now. Get them in here. <laughs> we'll we'll wait another minute or two. Um, is there anything while we wait for a few questions to come in? Is there anything you'd like to mention, shout out, or talk about? Um, in your space and place me yeah you um nothing specific but if anyone does have like hey i want to see this in a unreal benchmark let me know and yeah. i'll see how i can figure it out yeah um, are are you in communication with anybody with unreal like uh i imagine the developers of the uh you know of the software may have some insight into what uh, should should be tested uh, not yet 
Um, our understanding is that they're a little closed off. Okay. Um, but what we've seen in the past with Adobe and other people is that once we start getting the benchmarks out there and start people start seeing what it actually does, then they're more interested in talking. So okay. at this point, we'll kind of, you know, put the word out there, see if they want to talk and then start working and then maybe our work will speak for itself. Yeah. So is your 3DS Max benchmark available uh, for download and running at home? Not yet. Um, so I wrote the code for that benchmark. And as I said before, I have an art degree. Sure. <laughs> uh, so it's a little messy. Um, the goal is to make it publicly available. Okay. Um, it needs some kind of cleanup and stuff, um, at least for it to be able to um, upload results to our, our website, like our Adobe benchmarks do. Okay. Um, I had some problems with the... Uh, my FPS test, like viewport advanced performance, um, to be able to get that to record properly and behave properly in a, in a script. Um, so it's not the cleanest, but I probably could share it with people because it, like, that's the goal. There's nothing yeah. in it that is like proprietary, you know, mm -hmm. super secret stuff. It's just all, especially the max script. The biggest yeah. downside to it is that it's probably um, six gigs, wow. I think, just to have Hefty. enough stuff to test. Right. It's like my, I have the saving and loading scene um, and to be able to run like the frames per second. And the size of a scene is directly related to how many polygons are in there. Sure. So to get that, that scene by itself is four gigs. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a big file. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the goal is to make it publicly available. Um, I might do a like a beta release at some point that like it won't upload to us results or something and just to get people's feedback on on stuff. Okay. So soon, soon TM. Yeah, soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Uro says he has uh, max files that would dwarf your benchmark. Oh, I, I don't <laughs> doubt it. It's really not that hard to get a file to be four gigs. Like it's it's pretty yeah. easy. Okay. Well, um, well, all right. I guess uh, since we're we're three minutes over the hour, um, we'll right. we'll call it good here. Uh, I want to say thank you, uh, Kelly, for taking time out of the day to join us uh, on our on this Friday's uh, Labs Open Office Hour. And uh, mm -hmm. I hope and thank you, audience, as well, for, for joining us uh, in this. Um, we do this sort of thing Wednesdays and Fridays at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Uh, Wednesdays, uh, we bring in uh, outside industry experts to talk about their workflow and software and trials and tips and all that good stuff. And, uh, and then on Fridays, we have members of our team uh, basically do the same kind of thing, but just talking about more internal, uh, the benchmarks and maybe you know future-looking things and that sort of a deal. So follow us, um, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that social media stuff. Uh, Kelly, you are available where? Uh, Twitter. Twitter? Okay. Yeah. At, uh, at KW Shipman, I believe? Yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, follow follow Kelly. He, he posts uh, the articles and things like that as well and helps answer some questions out there on the social media times as well. So um, mark your calendars, Wednesdays, Fridays, 1, 1 p.m. And um, I think that's it. So... Thank you very much, and we'll yeah. see you next time. 
Ja, 